The Razor Show is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Patriots tickets tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. It's just an easy two-tap checkout. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Razor Show with the Athletics Nick Underhill and Jeff Powell, plus three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. Hey now, this is The Razor Show. This is Matt Chatham. Welcome back, everyone. Great to have you with us. Obviously, this is a very happy late Tuesday. Uh, maybe you're listening to this on a Wednesday, but things went awful well for the Patriots uh, on Monday Night Football there against the Jets, and uh, I probably helped fuel a little of the consternation there that maybe it was going to be a very competitive game. I kind of thought it. I was wrong. Uh, but Oddly enough, even with that sort of annihilation that happened on that primetime game, we got a piece of news that I think Patriot Nation might be a little more interested in, and that's Mohamed Sanu signing with the team, or excuse me, getting traded to the team for a second-round pick. And immediately my mind went to a guy that from previous podcasts I've had, you may be familiar with, DJ Shockley. Now, Shock and I worked together at the Big Ten Network, UGA rock star quarterback there for years. He was uh, he played behind Michael Vick years ago for the the Falcons, longtime NFL guy. Shock knows the Falcons much the way I know the Patriots. So if you <laughs> respect my opinion on stuff going on up here, as soon as I needed to know what was going on with a guy down there, he was the first guy I thought of. Uh, Shock works for the ESPN, for, d- d- calls games for ESPN and the SEC Network and does a lot of the same gigs that I do for the Pats. He does uh, similarly so for the Falcons. So Shock, thank you for coming on and we need you, buddy. We need to know about how Muhammad <laughs> Sanu can fit in here. How's life going? Well, first off, I need to take you on the road because that intro was probably the best I've ever had, ever. So I appreciate that <laughs> intro bringing me in right there. That's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, man, life is good, man, other than uh, uh, here in Atlanta where, you know, our Falcons are struggling uh, just mightily a little bit. Um, but losing a guy like Muhammad Sanu definitely was a uh, downer for a lot of Falcons fans because of who he is and what he does on the field. And I know we'll get into that, but um, all is good, man. And uh, you guys got a got a great dude right here, Mohamed Sanu, headed your way. Yeah. I think, Shock, I don't know, know if you remember this, but it, it's been several years now. But you and I had a, a similar conversation along these lines when the Patriots were – I don't know if it was restricted free agency where they were placing uh, tenders on him or yeah. they were pursuing him in free agency, but we kind of went down this road years ago where it's like, you know what? Mohamed mm. Sanu would be a perfect Patriot, and it was no surprise to us with uh, Thomas Dimitrov being down there and at the time Scott Pioli, some Patriots folks, and you know Matt Ryan, a BC guy. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of yeah. Northeast connections here, but it was no surprise to us, I guess, that the Mohamed had been down there and, and thrived in Atlanta. Right. And, you know, I think I, I was looking at some stuff and they was playing some stuff in Atlanta on uh, talk show radio. And they even went back to when the Falcons played the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And there was like a 30 yeah. second clip of, you know, Bill just going in on Muhammad Sanu talking so greatly about him. And he's been probably the ideal guy in Atlanta and has helped 
not just Julio Jones. He's helped that whole entire offense because of what he brings to it. And yeah, I mean, perfect, perfect match for what uh, you guys do there in New England. Yeah, now I, we can't because this is a Patriots show. We probably won't spend much time on the Falcons stuff. But you know, you know, Danny Quinn was my my position coach, I guess, for the D-line portion of things in New York. I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of his. I think he's a tremendous man. I think he's a tremendous coach. I, I, I feel sad that things haven't gone well for him. We don't have to do a hardcore uh, Falcons analysis here, but <laughs> I think beyond just that, just beyond just that, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate they're having those struggles. How does a guy like Sanu, who is all these things you and I are saying about him, how does he become available in trade? What has sort of been the context around what allows him to be someone that the Patriots would not only be a, a, have an appeal for, but would also find available? Well, I think if you look at his career when he was in Cincinnati to when he came to Atlanta, how he every single year – he was a guy that was a value. And you look at what he's done this year, his numbers are going to exceed or going to exceed anything he had done in his career. So you can see in an offense where when everybody doubles Julio Jones, you got a guy in Muhammad Sanu who can win. So I think the big thing is over the years, he has continued to grow his value. And this year, even more, he has grown that value with what he does. And in versatility, man, I mean, we, we've seen him, uh, you know, he's I think he might be a hundred percent throwing the football. You can use him in a wildcat this year. <laughs> right, right. This year the Falcons had some issues with some guys being hurt um in the punt return game. He went back and returned some punts in a couple games, and then obviously what he could do as a receiver is big too. So the, the versatility of him and then for the Falcons having a guy that has that much value, I think goes a long way when you're thinking about trying to trade for a guy and what you can get from them. And right now, I think the Falcons were in a position where they needed to upgrade their roster. And the one guy who has a lot of value is Muhammad Sanu. Yeah, that's an interesting point because the, the the Patriots themselves sort of have a glut of picks. They had one of the bigger drafts, I recall, a year ago. There are just so many damn picks. We're trying to figure out how all these guys even, you know, you have like a storied college career. You think you you did a lot of stuff as a young guy. You're going to come to a team, and they have so many picks and a roster that's already won a Super Bowl. And we, we see on a week-to-week basis the Patriots. Now, Jawan Williams is a good example. Uh, Vandy uh, uh, corner, 6'4", guy, rare in his size. You don't see a lot of guys like that. And he's a week-to-week maybe an active guy as a second round pick and he looks good. I mean, everything I've seen from him in camp and preseason games and even now in, in the regular season, this is a this is a dude who can get on the field. So I think the Patriots were sort of in the the corresponding position, I guess, to the Falcons to where they had a glut of picks and uh, they could help a place out like that if they were willing to give up an asset that could help them down the stretch. And as you mentioned before, it doesn't hurt. It actually helps quite a bit when they feel really good uh, about the personality. Um, Obviously, you know the the, the national story here that the Patriots have gone through the thing with Antonio Brown and not necessarily seen as much of a team guy and it was a risk and it didn't work out and that's gone south. No, that didn't work out. I wonder I mean, it amazing. didn't work out. It, it really blew up. In their didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, so unpredictable there. Uh, but I think the opposite of that is it, you're you're lauding this guy's uh, sort of what he is as a man and what he is as a teammate. 
And uh, I, you know, in the inter- when we saw the news come through, I've clicked through a couple videos and a couple things that he's been involved in in the last few years, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's why he seemed like such a perfect patriot. Yeah. To- we'll get on the field here in a second, but can you talk a little bit just about what Mohammed Su- Sanu is like as a person, as a dude, where he kind of sits his standing in the locker room with his other teammates? Yeah, so I've, I've had the opportunity to be around him and get to know him and just kind of have a, you know, just a friendship with him the past few years since he's been with the Falcons. And he's one of those type of dudes that when you think about, okay, if I want to go out and have a beer with a guy, this is a guy you want to go out with. And those are like the perfect guys to have in your locker room. Like it doesn't matter if it's offense, defense, special teams, he gets along with everybody. He's one of those guys that you you always see guys around him. He's always got good energy. He's always smiling. And the perfect locker room guy for any team, I believe. And the fact that when he came to Atlanta, he was kind of the guy who everybody looked at like, okay, this guy's coming from the AFC. You know, he doesn't really play the style that, you know, we played over here, but he adapted to it. And he is the type of guy in the locker room that you want, just uh, always laughing, always smiling. Uh, he has this, this thing that he, he loved that he called Bean Talk. He's turned it into a whole brand and he's you know, he's got clothes, he's got all kind of stuff. And you, you see his teammates, everybody is clamoring for it. Everybody wants one. Uh, whenever you talk to him, you know, he, he says, I got a little bean talk for you. It's basically just like some wisdom or something that, you know, he has. And he, he's just a likable guy that you enjoy talking to. And I think when you're around him, you get that same energy. and You just, you know, one of those guys you just want to hang around with, man. That's great, and obviously we understand the appeal and why they would would reach out for a guy like that in in a spot where their wide receiver position is a little banged up and a little uncertain. Josh Gordon, I think a lot of Patriot fans hope he comes back. Obviously, I do. I think he's been a, a similarly great guy, although a little more introvert. He's a little kind of drawn in, dude, but uh, had a an injury that we just don't know where it's going to go. They're waiting on Nikhil injury as a first rounder to come off IR, but that's always kind of an unknown. It sounds like Muhammad is, uh, is sort of a known and knowns are good, especially mm. vets at this time of their career. So let's turn the focus on field a little bit. And I think this is where you, you were particularly helpful. If you'd have been a buddy that I knew in the Atlanta market that had played fullback or offensive <laughs> line or a corner, Maybe it's not as relevant, but I dig that you're a former quarterback that's played at a high level in both college and the pros. And I want to know who Muhammad is as a receiver if you're throwing him the ball. What do you like about him? The kind of route concepts he excels on? Maybe some vulnerabilities, maybe some stuff he doesn't do quite as well. Who is he? How does he fit in any offense? And then I guess maybe draw it back to how he'd fit in New England. Well, I'll start with the thing that I think is probably what everybody already knows and maybe is a vulnerability, but it hasn't really hurt him. And it's, he doesn't have that, that top end breakaway speed that you want out of a, you know, a deep threat or a guy who's a number one receiver to have that Deshaun Jackson type of breakaway speed. Right. But when I look at Muhammad Sanu, that's probably the only thing he doesn't do well. And that's probably not entirely his fault, but, this is a guy, I broke down a route that he had a couple weeks ago, um, and it was on AtlantaFalcons.com, and the nuances of what he does in a route is what makes him so special. First off, he's a big receiver. He's big. He has big, strong hands, and when he, you never, ever, hardly ever see him, a ball gets to his body. He catches everything with his hands. He reaches out. He grabs it, has big mitts. And the thing that he does in routes is what makes him special. So he's big, he's physical, he's athletic, 
but he can set up defensive backs in the way that I think a lot of receivers can learn from. And this was a simple end cut that that he ran in the red zone. He ended up getting a touchdown against the Houston Texans. He has a guy in press coverage, and he wants to get inside. So he gives the guy an outside stem. He pushes the guy upfield, and he gets back vertical. Now, what's so important about that is he gets back vertical because now he has to stack the defensive back. And when he stacks the defensive back, now the defensive back doesn't know if he's going to go left or he's going to cut right. And he he ends up cutting back to the middle. And then that's where he creates his separation. Now, a lot of receivers, okay, I got my inside release. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go inside right now. Now the defensive back can undercut it. But those are the small nuances in a route that he does every single time. And this is a big physical receiver that's on the inside a lot of the times with the Falcons. But I think he can play outside. He can play inside. He can run every route in the route tree. And the one most important thing is every route looks the same. You don't know which route is coming. And that's what makes him special, along with having just strong hands. I think last year he had zero drops in the entire season or one drop the whole year. Um, and he is one of those type of guys that loves his craft, loves to play the receiver position. And it's kind of like you, man. He plays the position like a linebacker. <laughs> there he, you plays, go. he plays like a linebacker. He's tough, man. He's physical. He, he'll go in there. He'll block you. He'll put his hat in there. And he will definitely fight for his, his teammates. So he's fun to watch, man. Um, you don't see a lot of receivers like him with his physicality and the things that he can do in routes. And I think that's why he's been so successful over his career and been able to maintain all his time. So one of the things that uh, you touched on just about all of my bullet points, so I'm 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 pretty much through the list. I mean, uh, the idea that he's an inside-outside guy, but that has lived more inside, his the size, the way he snatches. Uh, it's yeah. funny, uh, around here we had a time where uh, they had traded for Philip Dorsett, and I'm I'm an unabashed, very a big fan of Philip Dorsett's game, uh, and he was sort of uh, languishing a little bit as maybe a fourth or fifth guy. And I was telling people, I'm like, he can play. This dude is a baller. He he, right. he catches everything you throw him. You throw him the ball, he's going to catch mm-hmm. it. You know, he's and he's going to get open. So sometimes <laughs> yeah. in a ro- you may be in a particular role where you don't get a lot of balls, but that doesn't speak to how well you get open and what you can do if the ball comes your way. And Philip is a guy who catches everything, and it'll be interesting now to see an offense that could potentially put Phillip on the field uh, in, in cold weather now as we advance here a little further into the year, and Muhammad Sanu on the field, and Julian on the field, and potentially Nikhil Harry on the field, and also and also Josh Gordon. I mean, again, it gets a little weird with who's coming and when, but they don't really care about that now. You're, everyone's going to get their reps and get their targets. You just go out and make a play. One right. thing I did hear about Muhammad that I don't know a ton about, and I think it maybe speaks to the defensive mindset that you talked about, I read that he was a really good blocking guy, like a really mm-hmm. willing, you know, you're going to toss play his way. You're going to run screens with maybe someone else. He's a guy out in space that, that finishes people. Is that, is that an accurate assessment? Of him? Oh, it's, is the most accurate thing you can say. I, I think you go back to uh, the Falcons only got one win, but the one win versus Philadelphia, Philadelphia goes cover zero blitz and they go cover zero and they run the tunnel screen to Julio Jones. Now, the nuances of what he does to go block the corner is next level as well. He takes three steps up because the guy in front of him has him in man coverage. So if he goes flat right now, the defensive back's going to fall right into the tunnel screen of Julio. He goes up three yards, and then he crashes down and knocks off the corner that's covering Julio, and Julio goes, you know, 67 yards for the touchdown. He is the guy that you put in there when you see – 
the receiver sitting on the wing or a guy coming down in motion and he got to dig out of safety. He has no problem with putting his hat in there and playing that type of role. You got to remember, he started in Cincinnati where it was cold and he had to learn that. Mm-hmm. Played at Rutgers. I mean, this guy won't be any worry about playing in cold weather. And then yeah. he knows how to play with big time players. Played in Cincinnati with AJ Green, and in the last few years he played in Atlanta with Julio Jones. So it doesn't matter what role this guy is in. This guy will excel, and he will make everybody around him better uh, with his play as well. So one last little football thought, and it, this can be no. I have no. I have no clue on this. But is there a catch and run element with Sanu? Is he is he someone you would throw a screen to, or is he someone who's more out in front of them, or or does he have that versatility? I'm just not sure. Yeah, that's the that's the funny thing about it is he can do both because he's so big and physical. When he catches the football, it's so fun fun to watch because as soon as he catches it, he's north and south right now. He gets upfield, he turns up, and there are numerous amounts of plays this year where he snatches the football away from a defensive back, breaks a tackle because he's so big and strong, and then he gets extra yak after the catch. So you can expect tons of uh, yak from him. You can expect him to win on one-on-one routes. Uh, but he is, I think, probably uh, the prototypical guy that you would like to have in an offense when you need a big third down conversion or you just need a guy to win. He is that type of guy. He would never back down. So I'm going to ask this question as sort of our final, and it's uh, I sometimes find it offensive, and I'm the one who's going to ask it. So screw me, <laughs> I guess. But, but this is something you kind of can't know about a guy. But you know, you've you've spoken highly, obviously, of Muhammad as far as you know, just the kind of dude he is. That he's everyone gravitates for him. He's a he's a good team player. All those kinds of things around here, um, because of the particular position we're talking about, a receiver. Uh, you know, it's a relatively challenging pickup uh, to mm-hmm. come in and sort of learn the offense kind of thing. Now, when I ask that question, it always gravitates toward is someone air quote smart or not. I think like football smart and and, and like book smart are two different universes. And if you even mention that it might take a guy a few weeks to get it run, it's like you're calling him dumb. And that's stupid in my view. I think like yeah. I've heard really oh, yeah. good things about this guy that he's a really heady player as well. And that anyone's going to struggle a little bit maybe for a week or two or three to get up to speed, but is learning an offense or, you know, getting himself acclimated to a new place, something you would worry about with him at all? No, I don't think so. Cause if you think about the last three or four years in Atlanta, they've had a different coordinator the last three years, you know, uh, the inconsistency there has been a big part of it. So each year he's come in, he's had to learn kind of a new terminology, a new system, the way a different offensive coordinator does things. And the thing about Muhammad, the second part of it is this guy can play everywhere from the X, the Y, the Z. He can play every position, and he did that for the Falcons. And that goes to this guy doesn't just know, okay, what he has to do. He knows every spot on the field and how they fit into what the offense is trying to do. So uh, the guy's a smart dude. The dude is going to give you everything he has. And obviously, yeah, the terminology is going to be a little different. going to take him a little time to learn the nuances of, you know, what the Patriots do offensively. but. I don't think there would be much a learning curve with how much ball he has played, how many systems he's been in, and the fact that this guy's going to put his head down because he wants to be on the field and contribute. Well, that's awesome. Well, great, great stuff from you today, uh, Shock. It's it's good to hear from your buddy, and uh, I, I thought it was really important to get a guy that's that's 
that actually has to rely upon these people, throw throw balls to <laughs> yeah. these kind of guys and can give some perspective of what they'll actually potentially do for Tom and, and the rest of this offensive group. Be well, pal. Talk to you later. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. And you guys got a great one. And I know Tom will be excited to have another weapon to add to that uh, potent offense that they're, you know, building. Yeah, rich get richer. Take care. <laughs> All right, brother. That was DJ Shockley, former UGA guy, bulldog from down there, and uh, you know, just a, a really heady guy, as you can tell, a really bright analyst, great player there for the for, for the Falcons that happened to play through an era as a backup to Michael Vick at a time where you know he was the Lamar Jackson of that time. You know, people talk about um, Lamar and the way he's moving around now, and he got to see up close and personal the original, the real deal, Michael, and. Uh, I think he just brings a pretty awesome perspective because he's been, he's seen that kind of stuff, which we didn't get into on this particular show, but he's seen sort of the uh, different kinds of personnel all up and down a roster and, and, and a place that has had success as they did as, as they faced the Patriots in the Super Bowl a few years ago, uh, and then also seen some down years prior to this and, and obviously what's going on this season. Uh, so I dig that he's kind of seen the highs, the lows, different offenses, different schemes, played in different offenses, played in different schemes, uh, sort of knows the ins and outs of, of any kind of offense. And when we start talking about a guy like Sanu, that's kind of what you dig about him, that he can do a little of everything. And it was sort of my wish list one. You know, I, I, we'd, we'd seen the report, I think it was actually from Nick Underhill at the Athletic that had, had popped it out there. If not, I'm giving Nick credit, whatever, you know, uh, for, for saying that uh, Emmanuel Sanders, I, I believe, had been uh, – uh, there'd been an overture. There'd been something put out there for him. And I know that uh, from just like a straight catches yards kind of standpoint, Sanders may have been a more appealing name to some people out there. Uh, I believe, without looking it up here right in front of me, maybe I shouldn't do this, but uh, that, that Sanders is a tick older, I think, uh, than, than Sanu is. Uh, but my personal wish list would actually have put Sanu before Sanders because I don't think they're in need of a new first option guy or new even second option guy. Uh, I think Sanu is like a more refined uh, Corderell Patterson, uh, which don't take that as a slight if you're hearing it that way. I liked Corderell's big body, uh, big ability uh, as far as length as a blocker, as far as throw this guy a screen, as far as get that ball in that guy's hands, just watch him do something. His run after the catch is really good, uh, but also his ability and willingness to block. I, I think I clicked on a Jay Glazer clip and retweeted it at some point today that uh, that showed Sanu, that talked about Sanu as like a, a defensive guy, essentially like a defensive mentality on the, on the offensive side of the ball. So I think for that, because you weren't trying to fill some sort of catch gobbler need necessarily and I'm not deriding uh, Sanu in any regards there I think if Tom wants to throw him eight balls he'll catch eight balls and he'll get open and he'll be available in the scheme wherever you need him to be but I think it's more the versatility uh, of Sanu that fits more like a, a perfect puzzle piece to what the Patriots have going on versus some of the other hypotheticals are out there. Sanders being one example, and Sanders had been a little banged up with the knee and playing through it and looking a little gimpy between snaps. And I think just because there's a risk element to that, uh, and yeah, maybe, hey, I erred a little bit in not asking Shock about uh, Sanu's health. I, I mean, I, I don't know that, and without looking it up, I'm not sure if there will be concerns that he'll be able to run the string. But uh, if all those things are sort of off the table and it's just who could help him, who could fit in and fill in and know that the glut of the balls are still going to go to Jules. Uh, Dorsett's role is probably not going to change dramatically. So who could fit in and really be 
uh, a nice uh, boost, a turbo boost to this offense. I could see this because he's got another year in his contract in 2020. I mean, just what this offense could be with veteran receivers in Jules, in Sanu, in Dorsett, uh, potentially still a part of this, and Nikhil Harry in his second year, he basically essentially just getting a half season this particular year. Uh, man, what an exciting group that could potentially be with that that foursome. And that's independent of what goes on with Josh. And we hope he continues to grow and if and get healthy and, and you know maybe advance in this offense as well. But you start to look at that collection, that foursome, that makes me more excited, and yeah, I know I'm the outlier in this, but I just thought the uncertainty of Antonio Brown and sort of the absence of buy-in and not a great team guy and all that stuff, uh, you know, it, it felt like a you know square peg round hole kind of thing. And uh, I don't feel that about Sanu. I feel like, hey, if you wanted to go down the list of guys who you kind of wish were Patriots, I know people will talk about Larry Fitzgerald. That's a great example. We've obviously been joking about that for years and years and years. Uh, and, you know, obviously that's an excellent Hall of Fame type guy. But he does the little things and he catches, you know, you know 1,200 you know, yards of, of – uh, yards of stuff a year and you know, we'll catch 100 balls every single season. That, we're not talking about that necessarily with Sanu. I mean, obviously, we've been glowing about him. But he's going to be a 50-60 catch guy if he's, if he's involved throughout the season. He's had three years in a row here of about 60 catches with, with Atlanta. He was obviously a very appealing uh, item coming out of Cincinnati. I believe at the time Marvin Jones had still been there, and so he was kind of stuck in an other guy role. A.J. Green... Uh, Marvin ascending and Muhammad. Muhammad's in sort of an undervalued spot, is able to go out and get the nice free agency deal. And that's kind of how he found himself there, looking to be a number two to Julio and excelled in that. I mean, I think getting 60 catches a year and being a nice accoutrement, <laughs> being a five touchdown guy in most seasons is perfect. And that was a high flying offense. I think we all obviously all all know that uh, from what Atlanta's been able to do. They hit a, they hit a bump this year and they've been bad defensively. Um, and they just haven't been winning football games. So I think that's what helps makes helps make a good player uh, that still has a ton of value become available at this juncture. And that's why he's here. And I'm excited about it. I mean, I really haven't heard. And I try to do this a little offline too, guys. Uh, you know, I you're obviously fans of the show. You know that I'm I'm not going to go out over my skis about a guy unless I really feel strongly about him because I've gotten a lot of good information about him. And I've talked to three three people that uh, that I have. Uh, you know, that I kind of wanted to know more about this guy. I can think of three conversations. I'm throwing shock in there. Is one of them now here recorded for y'all about what this dude was about, uh, about what he, what he'll bring, about how he'll fit. And I'm telling you, I couldn't be more happy. You know, for the organization, for the team. I think this is they got who they wanted. And, and for the people that were upset about the compensation level, you just have to understand. I put some tweets out about this draft compensation, draft pick compensation, or even draft position on draft day is all a function of market and need and what's going on with sort of other market factors at the time. If you say, and you look at some historical situation where player X with that amount of catches in this particular week juncture in two seasons ago only went for a four, well, market factors. What else is going on? And we found from the Jay Glazer uh, little piece that he put out on Twitter, who Jay obviously works for the athletic as well, uh, put out uh, that, you know, there had been multiple offers of threes. So if there's already multiple offers of threes and knowing that the Patriots are offering it a two, but a two for a Patriots is a back end second round. It's only going to be a handful of picks in advance of, of any three offer from some other more middling teams, presumably. So, 
you know, it's it's slightly better. And I think uh, one other thing here that really jumped out to me, and, and I'm not, I'll just, well, before I get to that, slightly better. It was the best offer. It appears to have been the best offer. And it took the best offer to get this guy in-house. I mean, they are uh, really uh, tanking around. Well, they're certainly not tanking, but they're having a really bad season down there in Atlanta. And obviously, I'm, I'm a flag flag. Uh, waiver for for Danny Quinn. I love Danny. I think uh, you heard that from some of Julio, jo- Julio Jones's comments. And again, maybe the New England ob- audience doesn't care about this, but I think they went really hard uh, in that post game. Julio had uh, there was a video out there, a tweet out there. You guys can look for it in social media. But that he had said, "Man, we've we this guy has given everything to us," and they really went out over their out of their over their own skis in, in defense of what Dan Quinn has done and that the failure was amongst the players themselves. And when you hear things like that, and that, that to me speaks to Julio's uh, leadership as well, it also speaks to them willing to do this deal or having sort of the autonomy for them to do this kind of deal. If they're shedding a, a, a very good player in Sanu and getting a future asset, to me, it was a little bit curious that a guy who might be on the brink of employment would be able to pull off a deal like that. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, and hopefully, I mean, at least from my perspective, they'll 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 continue to buy into Dan, and just some things need to change in the off season as far as maybe staff or direction with things they do. But um, I, I just found it a little unusual that they would be able to do that kind of deal. And um, you know, I'm happy that uh, it appears to have worked out for both sides. But moving into sort of the the football part of this, which we touched on with Shock on the phone uh, there for for his segment, I wanted to get into here briefly what I think uh, Shock is excuse me, Shock what I think Sanu will do in this offense. Um, I think I think that the catch and run element is actually something that's been a little bit muted this year. Because Corderell was gone, Corderell Patterson was no longer in the offense. Uh, Chris Hogan, we know, had gone on elsewhere as uh, to uh, Carolina. So you'd lost two guys that were, you know, with his whole lacrosse background. I know we always bring that up, but you had brought you lost two guys that could catch and run quite well. They were good after the catch. They were screen possibilities. They were look pass look passes just when the receiver maybe jabs at the defensive back, steps back, catches a quick ball. Um, that stuff uh, is was off the roster a little bit you know I don't I, we haven't seen Josh Gordon uh, really be that kind of player he's a big strong physical uh, go get it if you're talking verticals can use his body and screen stuff off uh, you know, on slants, he's actually a little bit like Demarius Thomas, quite frankly, at a at a younger stage of Demarius's career. I think their body profile and what they do in an offense is actually quite similar to one another. It's just you know, relatively first half of of career, last half of career. So if if you kind of understand Josh in that context, but that Josh has not been a guy where they could turn and throw him a quick screen. He's not been a guy who they could do a jet sweep with. His run after the catch is great when he catches a slant, snatches it away from his body, and it's just building and going. His stop-start hasn't been a thing. You know, he hasn't been a quick break-it-down, double-move, get-out-of-it-in-option-route kind of stuff. That just hasn't been him, and that's okay. Each guy can sort of fulfill a role or a type in an offense, and as Josh gets healthy, um, you've got that kind of guy, which can be a a very serious part of an offense and an asset. But because what I like so much about last year's championship offense as that thing got going down the stretch. I think you can definitely look in the in the Chargers and Chiefs game. Whereas the catch and run, what is going to happen now kind of element to that offense because Jules, as we saw in the Jets game on Monday Night Football, could be the reverse guy. Uh, Jules could be the guy who uh, 
who could catch, you know, or he could, it could be reverse or it could be a jet sweep motion where he's just basically on motion catching the ball. They could do the tap forward, which we've seen in the past. Uh, but you can be a guy to quickly get the ball into his hands and watch him just do something with it. Um, with Corderell off the roster and even Chris Hogan a little bit less so, they were down a couple bodies that, that created that confusion. I don't think Dorsett's been a big guy in that. Uh, mode. I think they tried a little catch and run with him or some jet stuff. I believe it was the first of the Buffalo game up there in Orchard Park. But I, I've kind of felt like, you know, beyond just Gronk's gone. Um, and it's not, again, I hope I'm not feeding into this what's wrong with the offense. I would just say what keeps it being from the top scoring offense, their offensive points only anyhow, would be something that makes them a little less diverse than a year ago. And I thought that was that, that, what's going to happen now element that was often in the offense a year ago. Um, and part of that is just investing in some young players and, you know, Dorsett bumping up to a further role. Uh, they're going to go with Jacoby Myers, who was tremendous in that Jets game. And I think independent of all this news going on with Sanu, uh, and then when or, or if or w- at what juncture you're going to get Josh Gordon back, I think we should at least spend 30 seconds here and say, Jacoby Myers is a football player, folks. This is not a, a nice little story, pat on the head, congratulations on the undrafted guy for making a football team. He's a good receiver. He, and I think at some point we need to stop referring to him as an undrafted guy and just say Jacoby Myers. Happens to have gone to NC State. Who gives a shit how he got in the NFL? That's a good receiver that's a part of this offense. And yes, he happens to be young. So you add in Nikhil Harry and young uh, Jacoby Myers as two go-forward pieces for the next several years. And you have really sterling vets in Jules and Sanu, you know, for at least another year there. And then the we don't know where it's going to go kind of thing with Josh Gordon. That's five really good receivers. And I want to make this point as well before we kind of tie this whole thing up on Sanu. His age was immediately mentioned. He is 30. Jules, I believe, is 32. I hope I got that right. It's either 30. He's north of 30, uh, 31, 32, somewhere in that range. But that was also Antonio Brown's age. So I think people get a little sort of weird and mystified with that three number as the, as the first thing. Some nothing magical happens at thirty, folks. I played in the NFL still at, after my thirties. It, it, it's it, your body doesn't nothing crazy happens just because the num, the numeral flips from a two to a three. Um, it, it is when you become more concerned that there may be some massive loss of speed or some in, you know acceleration of injury issues. But when you don't have a history or profile of that, who gives a shit about the number? Uh, I think it affects more guys that were really, really hard, you know, speed dependent. Like if all of a sudden they're 4.4 and now they're 4.5 and at 4.5 they're not able to do what they always did, well then that is a problem with age and advancement. Um, Sanu's big, strong, was never a runaway from you guy anyway. Uh, And it's more his savviness in the route that helps him succeed as shock so so eloquently described. I loved how he talked about the way, and again, it's it's a little difficult to to get into this stuff on a podcast other than to visually show it, and nobody out there better to do it than Shock. But the, what he was talking about, folks, is there are lots of different ways to break down a defensive back, to stack them, which means getting back on top of them and getting yourself into a two-way go situation. Two-way go means you can go left or right, and the back doesn't know either way. When you when a bat, when a defensive back has you shaded, you're, you have leverage to a certain side. You can break away to his left, say, if he's high and outside to your right, or flip all those scenarios and you could break to your right. 
but you really don't get the two-way go. When they're taking leverage at the line, you got to be one of those crafty MFers and to be able to get yourself back into a both a stack position and a two-way go. And I'm I'm vouching or I'm taking I'm, I'm vouching for Shock and then his interpretation or his analysis of this guy that he's that kind of dude that can do that. Um, that's a big deal. You know why that matters in this particular offense? Because this is an offense where you have to make post-snap decisions. You have to often go down the field, read those coverages, and make space for yourself and fall into those places um, where Brady's going to find you. And it's really the right kind of dude. And and again, I, I know it takes a, an experienced NFL dude like like Shock to be able to talk about that minutiae stuff. And sometimes over a podcast, it's a little difficult for myself uh, to communicate exactly what it is we're talking about without having the visual element. But all I can simply say is from my experience, from his experience, this is uh, those are really, really important attributes uh, that are a little bit sometimes hard to communicate, but it's it's important stuff. And I think it's more pertinent in this particular kind of offense. If you were playing in a place that just wants to hard sell play action and throw shots, uh, you know, over and over and over again, yeah, that's not the guy necessarily. But if you're going to run crossing routes, if you're going to pick stuff, if you're going to do stacks, if you're going to need a guy that breaks down wins with leverage uh, and has an option component where he needs to get real quick separation at the top of the stem as opposed to running away from someone you know 18 yards down the field that's different uh, this guy fits and you know hopefully I didn't fawn too much and this doesn't work out and I look like an asshole but uh, I, whatever I'll stand by my analysis here uh, I don't know him from you know games and games and years and years of film study I know him from a handful of games that I've seen of his but more by profile and vouching from other pros and I tend to think that that's at least when it's the guys that I trust that the, their word uh, means a whole lot to me and obviously I throw shock in that in that category so anyway that's uh, that's who I think Mohamed Sanu is going to be for this team, and I think it's something to be very, very excited about. Now, granted, if you may have tuned in the show thinking you were going to get some, you know, big time uh, breakdown of the Jets game, I'm not. It was a blowout. It wasn't a contest. Maybe I mildly misled you because I thought it would be much more competitive than that. But I think the real story of the day is not necessarily to walk you through the way that they blew through that team defensively. We know it. You've heard it by now. If you're hearing this pod, they beat them 17 different ways uh, with pressures and zero coverage stuff, where it's you know everyone across the board has a man. There is no safety help anywhere on the field, and they're going to bring seven dudes or six guys, and uh, no, somebody's going to be unblocked, and you know just or at least everyone's got a guy kind of thought. There's no help. That's crazy stuff. That was as disruptive as crazy a defensive game as you'll ever see. Uh, it was an absolute mismatch, and I love what they're doing there. They're 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 sort of pulling a pair of aces uh, throughout sort of the defensive calls and the execution. It's just really fun and exciting to see on that side. But that's often the story of what we've seen throughout the year. So regurgitating that and showing how they did it again, I think makes for a little less compelling listen. So I wanted to get into the Sunu stuff and get into it deep and see how he could fit in. Now, I built this up uh, purposely so because I'm a little bit excited about it. This is uh, something that I think is a, is a really good decision by the Patriots. But I don't expect him to walk out here and catch five balls every week here from going forward. This might be a situation where maybe he doesn't have a big role this next week. Maybe this grows, and I'm talking three to four to five weeks from now. But I think what this ultimately was, folks, and this is really important, this was insurance. You actually don't need Mohamed Sanu, as good as he is as uh, in the role that I think he'll play. You didn't need him if you have a healthy Josh, if you have Nikhil back and contributing as you think you will, if Jules is doing what he always does, if Jacoby Myers continues to play at this high-level contributing rookie thing. That's a really strong four already. And Gunnar Oshevsky has shown he can pop in and be the fourth receiver 
in an emergency, maybe even a third if you really need to finish out a quarter or something like that, you're actually covered. What this is is really, really high-end insurance, really high-end insurance that improves you and can actually, in the absence of needing the insurance, be a week-in, week-out contributor. So I love it. I think it's a really good idea. I think they're now buffered uh, from an injury. Uh, There can be another guy go down and you're covered a little bit. Uh, But again, it's going to take some time, may take a few weeks to get up to the point where you feel like, okay, he's a guy we could go target for four or five or six times in a game. Maybe that's not what it is day one, and that's not reasonable necessarily to expect. But I think what they did is they bought really smart insurance. And you may think it's an expensive policy by going with a second-round pick, but I'm completely okay with that because what you're trying to do here is is uh, lead, lead well. You know, you, we often use the front-runner argument in a negative connotation. The Patriots are out in front of the league right now. They are. And I think uh, a poor way of front-running in this situation would be to sit on laurels. And it didn't necessarily mean a transaction had to happen, but I, I think the fact that they did shows that they're forward-thinking. Uh, in the event that they hadn't made the transaction, I thought that would have been more information on their certainty with what they'd get from Nikhil and their certainty with what they would get from from Josh Gordon. But if either of those things are uncertain, which is reasonable because Josh took a hell of a spill, man, that was a scary looking thing. And if they have any sort of question about how quickly or how effective he'll come back in the coming weeks, uh, and just know that the other portion's a rookie thing, even as much as Nikhil, as good as Nikhil looked in preseason, uh, as good as he looked in the, 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 the inner squad stuff with other teams that we saw, as, uh, as much as I think he's going to be a star in this league eventually, um, you know, you don't know how quickly it'll get up to speed in live scenarios. So knowing that uh, they're going to have the best information, better than myself, better than shock, better than really any outside analyst could possibly give, their on-the-ground-floor information is that this in- insurance was necessary, and I think they've got the track record to be trusted, and uh, it should be trusted. If you're not trusting this group by now, good Lord, people, who would you trust? So before we wrap on the show here, the NBA season's officially here, and The Athletic has you covered with over 20 new local and national shows, including Anything is potable. You know I'm a pun guy. I love that one. A weekly Boston Celtics podcast with Sam Packard and Jay King. So be sure to check it out right here on The Athletic. Now, that was your Razor Show. I'm Matt Chatham. I had a blast on this one. I love when I can get a guest on that's a buddy that's also really good at what he does and can give us some great perspective on something that's hitting home in a big sort of national story. The Patriots blew out a team that I think people thought, a lot of people, myself included, would be much more competitive. That was sort of a broadside, a shot across the bow to the rest of the NFL. They're out in front. They're kicking ass. And now they're even adding bodies who are really good and great fits. That's a message of the league. This is a team you can feel good about. That's the Razor Show. I'm Matt Chatham. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Bye-bye.